0: Have you heard that the New Covenant removed and did away with God's Holy Days? I heard a message stating that in 1995. It was a January 3rd three-hour tape that had been edited. I knew that it was edited almost immediately because in Big Sandy when it was recorded, the individual that took care of Recording and was the I guess to say the one who took care of sound in Big Sandy was also a very close friend of one of the church members in Louisville, Kentucky, which I pastored. The man was so excited about the message that he sent the message to his friend in Louisville, Kentucky, just immediately, and so. The member in our church, he got it. He was excited about it. He knew that there would be a lot of requests for a copy. So he made a whole bunch of copies. Now, he didn't listen to everything in it. If he had, he may have not passed out what he had. And then he played the tape that came from Pasadena to be played in the churches on January 3rd, 1995. It actually had been edited, and edited quite a bit in some key areas. Uh, That was interesting, especially knowing that it revealed there was sort of an agenda, or there was an agenda in what was happening. But what really shocked me, brethren, as a minister, was how many people grabbed hold of the concept, I don't need to keep God's laws. I don't need to keep His holy days. I'm free. In fact, I even heard the phrase, free at last. Now, I wasn't sure what we were free from, personally, and I already had, for a couple of years, seen various material coming from the leadership at that time in the Worldwide Church of God I did not agree with. But I was really shocked by the brethren. How many accepted a sermon that was not well-structured to prove anything, but they had a desire? And I think it's important to understand that. They viewed God's laws in a way, brethren, that lacked a certain level of understanding, but also not recognizing the benefit and the value of the things we do as we obey God. And so today I want to address a subject that I hope will help you have a better appreciation of God's holy days. And the title, if you wish, is New Covenant and God's Holy Days. And the way I'm going to go about my message is to actually focus on first what is the covenant. If you read the covenant and then you examine the Bible regarding it, which we will do you'll begin to see there are certain elements of that covenant that make it very, very clear that it's very relevant to our calling, to our practices, and to God's holy days. So let's start as we go through the topic in Hebrews chapter 8. In Hebrews chapter 8, in verse 8. We find the Apostle Paul speaks of the new covenant. Now, this is actually a quote, and we will, I'll read this and then we'll go back and take a look later where it's quoted from in Jeremiah chapter 31. But you'll find they're identical. So in Hebrews 8, Well, let me read verse 7 going in. It says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, not the covenant, but the weaknesses of the children of Israel in which God had entered into a covenant. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. And so Paul comments, and perhaps God gave him an insight to understand, or maybe even the conditions that he could observe were such that he knew that Jerusalem was not going to last very long. Because after the book of Hebrews was given to the Hebrew brethren, inspired by God, we know that not too many years that followed, the city was destroyed. But God's people, because they listened and they were aware of God, when a voice was heard in the temple, they left. Their lives were spared. It's the very Interesting account to read in the book of Josephus. And that book is basically a book of Jewish history and focuses on that time. And it's very helpful to read particularly about what happened at that those events. So Paul said, in that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. And it's important for us to understand that that's a reality. The first covenant that God made with the children of Israel did not have their obedience was not their heart and God did disregard them. It says now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. Then Paul goes on to explain the focus of the new covenant, which is forgiveness and the laws of God. That forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so he expounds in chapters 9 and 10 the role of Jesus Christ now as the mediator of the new covenant. And I'll read just a couple of things. Notice verse 15 of chapter 9. It says, For this reason. Now the reason is, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. We also read in chapter 10 where, again, part of the statement of the covenant is repeated. That's in chapter 10, verse 16. In verse 18 it says, Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. In other words, Jesus Christ offered Himself and His sacrifice covered all of mankind. The Creator. God in the flesh. He died for our sins. Not only did the Father, but you can read in the book of Revelation, where it speaks of the Lamb of God in Revelation chapter 5. And it's interesting to read it and, and look exactly what it says. But it tells us the heavenly creation accepted Christ's sacrifice for our forgiveness. It was accepted throughout God's servants and His people and his angels, all of the elders that counsel and serve Him, is brought out. And you can read that. It's very inspiring to know. Because it means what God is doing in our life has been accepted by the heavenly host and by our Father in heaven. And the title, Lamb of God, continues as you read through Revelation, into the future it's a relationship we will not forget so rather when we speak of the new covenant it's really very important it is the foundation of the promises given to us the promise of forgiveness the promise of the remission of our sins and the promise of life Now, how can we understand more about what God wants? Because what Paul's purpose is, is primarily to prepare the Hebrew people and also to give them an understanding of what God was doing as they move forward. Mr. West mentioned something that I had recognized actually quite some time ago in a sense of where I'm going as I meditated and thought about this particular topic. God's holy days. And he mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 31, the covenant that God would enter into with the children of Israel when Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords reigning on this earth. And so we have prophecy That we can look at and look forward to what will happen and what God is going to do. And brethren, when we do that, and that's what we're going to do right now, we're going to see certain elements of the new covenant and what God is seeking in our life. Because the new covenant has purpose. And so one of the things that's revealed to us Is the purpose God has. Now, I'm not going to read all of chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. But I do want you to turn to it, skim down those passages, and you will realize we just read this. We read it in Hebrews chapter 8 because he quoted it. And so we know the covenant we're speaking of is exactly the same covenant the Apostle Paul speaks of when he spoke to the children of Israel, or the Hebrew brethren, as a part of the church of God. During this age, not the future coming and reign of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. But when we look at what God does and what He accomplishes and what He remarks about to us of the future, then we have a bigger picture of what God is seeking in the New Covenant. There is a freedom involved, brethren, but it's not free from obeying God. The freedom is the forgiveness of sin. But with that freedom comes responsibility and opportunity. So let's notice as we read about the covenant, here it's stated, and I'd really encourage you because I I did not include all the scriptures that could be included in this sermon. I'm going to give you a picture. I'm going to give you an outline, brethren, that I hope you don't forget. And if you have a personal interest, you can take Bible concordance, look up the word New Covenant or Covenant, and you can start reading even beyond. But I I pull the ones that have the elements that are strict, very straightforwardly mentioned as far as what God seeks to do and what will be accomplished with the children of Israel. So we read in Jeremiah chapter 32, In verse 37, so God has formed a covenant with the children of Israel. That's what he says is going to take place. Verse 37, behold, I will gather them out of all countries, where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. That is something yet to happen. And I think it's important for us to understand, brethren, as disturbing as what we see happening in this world, the events that lie ahead, they're going to reach the highest, I guess you say, responsibilities in the kingdom. And God and Jesus Christ will be furious. And I think it's important to understand when well, we pray thy kingdom come, we pray in harmony, We pray God would protect His people who strive to serve Him. We will pray in harmony with God's heart. So it's in anger, fury, and wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be My people and I will be their God. As we read both in Hebrews and earlier in Jeremiah, regarding the covenant, that's what God wants. That's going to happen. Then I will give them one heart and one way. In other words, God's going to touch the life of His children, and they're going to have one heart. And there's going to be one way. In the New Testament, it speaks about the way. That way is what God's servants practiced. You know, along with the concept that, well, we're now under the new covenant. Oh, yes, the apostles kept the holy days and they did not eat, you know, food that they should not. And. So, but they were Jews and the Gentiles didn't have to do that so we just sort of wash away the reality they were God's servants they were the apostles and the foundation that Jesus Christ used and it's clearly stated in the Scripture. A church being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so God says, we can sort of look at our list and say, okay, one of the things God wants is one heart. And one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing them good. This is another thing we could write down and say, God's covenant is a promise that He would always do good. What I love about this statement, brethren, because see, God says to us to love Him with our whole heart. And God goes on to say, I will put my fear in their hearts so they will not depart from me. Verse 41, Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. God does not ask of us a commitment that He Himself does not give to us. And I think that's Very important for us to embrace and understand in the relationship. So we see here some elements added that discusses the heart, one heart, one way, and a promise of an everlasting covenant and a promise that God would bless and those who are part of this covenant, their lives would be blessed. To do them good. In the book of Ezekiel, we also read of the covenant God established with the children of Israel. And we also read some elements that are helpful. In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. Again, it's talking about gathering the people in verse 17. Assembling them from the countries where they were scattered. And I will give you the land of Israel. They will go there. They will take away all its detestable things and all its abominations from there. Then I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So God describes and tells us the heart that he seeks is a heart of flesh. And you know, brethren, we live in a society by the very nature of the fear and the crime and the lack of peace and harmony within even our own nation. It's very difficult not to, in some parts of your life, have a stony or a hardened heart. And it's something we should be aware of. We shouldn't be naive, however, to the dangers of this world and this society. You know, you see someone on the highway and they need help. Most of us, I, I have, will not stop because we don't know in our world, is that a woman who is out there and behind in the bushes are two or three men that would rob you and perhaps take your vehicle or take your life. But most of us carry something where we don't have to stop to be of help. It's called a cell phone. And if there's evil intent, let the authorities deal with it. If there's a genuine need, the authorities will they'll be there. They'll respond. It will be found out if there's something false going on. I don't know if you've had much experience with... Calling 911, I had an incident in my life a number of years ago. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but a truck uh, clipped and caught the front bumper of my car. And really, he he was trying to protect a major accident because of a mess up of the road crew. They had uh, blocked, they put signs up saying the right lane was blocked. Come around the corner on a bridge, you're boxed in. No, it wasn't the right lane. Three lanes of traffic doing about 75 or 70 miles an hour. I think actually the bridge was 65, and then on the other side it went to 55. Bunch of trucks. I'm coming home in the evening. truck in front of me who had moved from the right lane to the center lane. Suddenly he realized, no, it was a center lane that was blocked. It was a gravel truck filled with gravel. Because what they were doing is pothole repair on I-65, so he had nowhere to go. There were already trucks; that were getting ready to move over. They saw it, they so the only place he could go was to his left, and I was beside him. And I realized he actually honked his horn. He just got on it, sort of honking, make sure I, and I could hear his engine go from, you know, and you know, he just. He pushed the pedal to the metal, and he moved by me. I tried to hit my brakes, and I started sliding on the gravel because it was pothole repair. How close were we? He clipped my bumper. I could feel the jolt in a low-rise car hauler with a complete load of vehicles. One minister told me many years ago that I would... Get blood out of a nickel. <laughs> well, I didn't grow up with a whole lot. We, we were, in terms of this world, fairly poor. And my dad had a goal, and that was when he retired from the Navy to buy property. And so we, we lived on a very tight budget. And that probably was a good thing, because I learned to enjoy simple things and uh, the was blessed when God blessed me to appreciate the blessings that I received not take them for granted so I followed I felt the jolt I was supposed to exit on the other side of the bridge I know the area is my home I followed the truck I needed to make sure that there was actual damage I followed him for a ways, jumped out, ran around yes, my front bumper was hanging loose and a part of it was damaged. Ran back to my car, dialed 911, had talked to my wife. I think she had mentioned you. I should dial them. Told her I was going to follow the truck. I needed uh, to get a police report. Otherwise, without it, I was going to be paying a deductible. And with it, uh, it was not my fault. And so I called. Got first an officer, very quickly, almost immediately. He said, well, you're a little too far down the freeway from where I'm located, but I will connect you with another officer who's patrolling further down, and you can speak with him. And that was a very quick and smooth connection. I told him what happened, the second officer. He said, I'm not very far from you, because he asked me what mile marker I had passed. And he said, I'll catch up of my lights and siren on, when you see me, be behind the truck, flash your lights so I know it's you and that the truck in front of you is the one I need to pull over." And so that happened. He also said, stay in your vehicle. Long story short, he did exactly what he said. You got to talk to the truck driver for, him for a few minutes truck driver, I later learned, had uh, actually asked other truckers, was I still driving or what had happened? Because he didn't know. He's got this huge load. He's concerned about running to a gravel truck that's totally loaded with gravel. Of course, that would have probably been death to him. And so they go back and it's a low hauler type of truck with, you know, the pretty low to the ground, and at the end it had angle iron. And so the driver, and I'm sitting there with my lights on, the officer told me, please leave your lights on so we can see. So my lights are on and I'm watching. And the police officer kneels down. and He pulls out a piece of something from the bumper. Then he and the truck driver come around to look at my bumper. Truck driver goes forward. Officer comes to my window, he said, Mr. Greer, there's no question what happened is what you thought happened. He said, this piece of plastic fits exactly in your bumper. It's the same color. He actually just cut a chunk of plastic right out of the, uh, because our bumpers today are plastic. And so I didn't pay a deductible. (laughs) And it all worked out very well. But see, you can pick up the phone and call 911 and help someone. Not just ignore them. Not drive down the highway and forget all about it. You can do the same type of thing, brethren. You know, in, in many situations where someone may need help. And so, we should not allow this world to just sort of form and shape our heart. And I know that it's not only true now. But as things get far more difficult, it's going to be difficult to have a heart of flesh. And there has to be a certain wisdom. But rather, we don't want a stony heart. So one of the purposes that we can look at of the New Covenant is that we would have a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. Verse 20, that they may walk in My statutes and keep My judgments and do them. Now, please note this. Because, see, we've read law. And we can say, oh, the law, that Ten Commandments. But in this particular passage, what does it say? Walk in My statutes. And what are we observing today? The statue of God. There's judgments God has made. That give us direction. In relationship to his laws. And how we should apply them. They may walk in my statues. And keep my judgments. And do them. And they shall be my people. And I will be their God. So we see more of the picture. Of what God seeks with the new covenant. It's not disobedience, is not life without guidance and a path that leads to the fruit of what God wants. Know it's the path rather than that guides us. And actually as we obey God and we seek the things of God and we love our neighbor, our heart is touched in the way that God wants let's move on in Ezekiel chapter 20 in Ezekiel 20 I will I I just uh, this particular chapter holds a scripture or passage that I I think is just something to always remember you know, earlier in chapter 20, from where I am going to read like, later in verses uh, what, 42 and 44, but I'd like to read to you what God says in verse 32. Because the children of Israel, they, they turned away from God, they sought idolatry, and God says, What you have in your mind shall never be. Not going to happen. Now for a while, Yes. What you have in your mind shall never be when you say, We will be like the Gentiles, like the families in other countries, serving wood and stone. As I live, says the Lord God, surely, with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. You know, the Bible speaks of a rod. A rod of iron. Powerful thing if you carry it. It can do a great good. deal do a good too. And if somebody needs to be thumped in the head, it'll do the job. <laughs> but I, I love the passage because it shows us when God says, with all my heart and with all my soul. And in this case, of course, it has to do with the fact that the children of Israel persisted in their disobedience God would forgive they would repeat it just go back and forth and finally God had enough don't let that be true in our lives brethren we all have weaknesses and faults we struggle with are things that perhaps were part of our youth or our life's experiences some things are hard to move by and so we have to sort of deal with them and maybe deal with them all our life But brethren, don't let whatever you deal with cause you to lose hope. You're not going to die in this flesh perfect. And God will see your heart and your intent. God tells us he sees the intent of the heart. So just don't give up. Just keep working and trying to grow in the things that you struggle with. Keep asking God to be patient with you and help you. Let's notice verse 42. Because I'd like to show you another element that is a part of the covenant. Verse 42, Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I raise my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled. And you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed." And so what is God seeking? I think all of us know the answer to that. It's called repentance. It's called godly repentance. a repentance towards God. It says, Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, the well, house of Israel says, "The Lord God." Then let's go to Ezekiel chapter thirty-six. We see another element that was mentioned, but here we see it more distinctly brought out. Ezekiel chapter thirty-six, verse twenty-four: "For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land." Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Now, we've read certain elements that the Bible is very clear are part of the new covenant. I could actually turn then to one more chapter, which I'm not going to do because I'm going to give the message on the last great day, and I'll mention it at that time. But you'll find that during the Great White Throne Judgment, it speaks again that God will give them His Spirit. Now what I want to ask you, is any of this familiar to you? It should be. So you're a part of, right now, that covenant. And that is what God has been doing in your life if you've accepted a covenant relationship with God through baptism. You know, I've heard various discussion at times, of when did the new covenant start? The Bible is really specific about it. In Matthew chapter 26, in verse 26, as Jesus Christ participated in keeping the Passover. We read that at that table, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant. You kept the Passover. You're observing a covenant relationship with God. It's not a covenant you renew, brethren. But it is one where God wants us to remember. It's interesting in baptism. You know, we enter various relationships with God. Baptism is generally one you don't tend to forget. Somebody puts you underwater. And when we baptize somebody, we don't tend to just push them down this way. Lean them back. When I was a youth, anybody when I was swimming or I was out in the ocean or whatever, my dad was in the Navy, Lived in Florida for a part of my life. You know, I was around water a lot. Somebody comes behind you and jerks you backward in the water. I never appreciated it. <laughs> and I showed that this lack of appreciation in different ways. Usually I'd look around to see who it was before I got too upset. Some big, great, big guy, I calmed down. Somebody about my size, we have a little problem. and you have both happen when you're a kid. You have young people a lot older than you are,' mess with you and you also have even your own friends. And so you build your barrier, so to speak. But see, when you were baptized, you entered into a covenant with God. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Because the children of Israel who were involved with and had become disciples of Christ and yet at the same time saw the events that led to His crucifixion and then they were present on the day when God poured out His Holy Spirit upon His servants. And they heard the inspired messages from the Spirit of God they were cut to the heart that we read in acts chapter 2 verse 37 now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do and Peter said to them repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And we know, brethren, from keeping God's holy days, that involves everyone. Not necessarily now, but as we look at God's holy days, God reveals to us the future. I would like to comment in one area, and that's the understanding that we have that has to do with Christ's sacrifice and the Passover. The Bible does not leave that topic ambiguous. I grew up in the Catholic Church as a young child. I actually took Holy Communion. I was in a Catholic school. I don't have a great deal of memory. But when my mother died and brought home some of her things, going through various boxes, I actually came across a picture of myself at my First Holy Communion. That's Catholic terminology. And there was a ribbon, I think, and a rosary and a prayer book. They were all given to me at that time and that occasion. And then after that, a Catholic school and remained with the Catholic Church for a period of a number of years. I was a teenager when my parents first pulled away and began to attend the Radio Church of God and then later the Worldwide Church of God. And that wasn't in Eugene. We moved in Eugene about a year later. Also during that time, my mom and dad separated and I lived with my grandparents. My mother moved to Omaha, Nebraska. We lived with her parents. My dad came out and basically took the three children, put them in the back seat of the car, and he said to my mother, Dorothy, I want you to come, and I'm going to give you an hour. Pack your things if you wish, otherwise I'm taking the children back to the state of Washington. You know, there are things you go through in your life that mark you, and you don't forget. see, in the Catholic Church, it was a ceremony. Every Catholic Mass, if, you're, if you've been Catholic, you know this, every Catholic Mass is, to some extent, depending on the type of Mass, whether it's abbreviated or whether it's elongated, has to do with the crucifixion and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It has to do with taking the bread and wine, but the priest is the one who drinks of the wine. Those who are Catholic, they receive a, a small piece of bread for communion. And for many years of my life, I would put my tongue out like everyone else and a priest would bless the bread and put it on your tongue. I also remember being a, pretty young, We'd go to confession, and then we would do penance. Penance is so many Hail Marys, Our Fathers, maybe even Apostle Creed. And of course, you're doing this with your classmates and friends. And it wasn't very long, just as kids. You figured out, boy, Joey has a really long repentance. He's been praying there a long time. I wonder what Joey did. And so you get this sort of, unfortunately, attitude and spirit about repentance and about sin. That when God calls you, you have to face and you have to address it. And you have to realize that all of that has to change in your mind and heart. Because God isn't looking for repentance. God's looking for Repentance. So in the book of John, Jesus made it really plain, brethren, when we partake of the symbols of His sacrifice, when we eat of His flesh and drink of His blood, it means something other than ceremony. Now I'm going to just read a couple passages. John chapter 6, verse 54 says whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as a living Father sent me and I live because of the Father so he who feeds on me Will live because of me. And of course, Mr. Meredith drummed it to all of us that Jesus Christ must live in us. So we look at the new covenant and God's holy days. We see the first step of our personal life. We see The fact that we were baptized and in the holy days, we find the very first holy day being an integral part of that covenant relationship. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul said, verse 25, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. How often do we do it? And when we do it, when is it? It's on the Passover. Now, I'd like to interject something here because we are here. The Apostle Paul was touched by this because when he kept the Passover as a Pharisee, was not when Jesus observed the Passover and the Passover evening. When you read the Gospel accounts, you realize that the Jews were keeping it later. Paul says, right here in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Please understand that for the apostle Paul, that was very personal. And we know he went to Jerusalem. We also know that Paul said that whether it was in vision or in reality, that God had taken him up to the third heaven. And we know that he said he was taught at time by Christ. So we don't know, but he says here in, in, in a way that doesn't give us delineation, for I receive from the Lord that which I delivered to you. That should never be a question among God's people. It's so clear, brethren, in the Bible. You can find various things that are difficult or somewhat ambiguous in the Old Testament. But you do not keep the Old Testament Passover. I do not believe that you sacrificed the lamb or shed its blood. I do not believe that you had a meal of that lamb as Christ did. No, we keep the Passover that Jesus Christ instituted. And in the manner He did. You know, we read in John 14, it says, I set an example for you. We can look at that and think, well, that has only to do with foot washing. No, it has to do with what He did. All of it. Passover and the washing of feet. Because, brethren, they go together. They're not separate packages. They're one package. And when Christ said, I've set an example to you to do what I've done, that includes the Passover as we observe it. In the example Christ said when he spoke of a new covenant, because he was the one who used those words. I mention this because part of what we're seeing is what Paul describes in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17. That is, Paul speaks of keeping God's holy days as a shadow of things to come. Let's notice this, verse 16, Colossians chapter 2. We have literature, if you do not understand this passage and the context of it and what is being explained. The simple truth is, the Gentile brethren in Colossia were keeping God's holy days. And Paul's explaining to them, verse 16, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Why would anybody judge somebody for something they're not doing? But the article gives you even more depth and help. I'd like to point out which Paul says, which is part of what I'm saying to you, today and the message I want to get across which are a shadow of things to come he goes on to say the body is of Christ or the body of Christ when you look it up in original language is is not present it's just simply a statement now how does that statement relate to it doesn't make sense if you don't look at verse 16 let no one judge you but the body of Christ. In other words, God did, and Paul understood, commit to his servants the responsibility, whether it has to do with the new moon, or the calendar, or the observance of God's holy days. Now, brethren, in the New Testament, when we recognize that we are already participants in the New Covenant, what else do we see about God's Holy Days that are revealed to us? One is we see, obviously, the conditions of baptism. When you were baptized, you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Lord and Master, great High Priest, and soon coming King. You know that's exactly what's going to happen in the millennial reign of Christ, the children of Israel, and the rest of mankind. Those nations that don't come up to worship the Lord, the King of Hosts, on the day of Trumpets or that time of excuse me, Tabernacles, what they're basically saying is, "You're not our King. <laughs> we don't recognize you, little." at a time with no rain and for some time of pestilence another year human nature can be very stubborn but they're going to come up and when they come up they're going to worship the king when you were baptized and I was baptized we accepted the king our Lord and Master. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had been united together in the likeness of His death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we shall no longer be slaves of sin. A very important part of the new covenant is the remission of sins. Their iniquity I will remember no more. In verse twenty two of chapter six of Romans, but now having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end everlasting life. So what what else is a part in the New Testament of this covenant? Well, let's notice in first Corinthians chapter. Chapter five, verses six and nine, or six through nine, first Corinthians five, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. For you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. The Bible speaks now of unleavened. So we have the second holy day. That's a part of this picture. And it's a part of that covenant. The reason we're unleavened or forgiven is that God has passed over our sins. And please understand, I, I don't really like the terminology sometimes we use in certain situations. We talk about putting sin out. Let me tell you something, brethren. When you sin, it sticks until you ask God to forgive. When you ask God to forgive, then it's removed. I understand the principle of what we're striving to do, but it also conveys a little bit of a message that is not really accurate to what's happening. It's God who removes us from our sins and forgives us. Our responsibility then is to change and repent and not to sin again. As Jesus said to the woman He forgave, go and sin no more. And so what we learn through being unleavened is to not continue in sin. We ask God to remove it and to put it out. Now, that's not a great big deal. I understand what we're trying to do. But I think it's helpful to just look at it and realize that's the process. Now, we've already discussed, and I'm not going to turn back to it, the next holy day is the day of Pentecost. That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. In the New Testament church, among the servants of God, God poured out His Spirit. We now have three of the holy days that we observed. How about the fourth? Well, I'd point out to you, let just go back and take a look, in the Scripture, in the book of Hebrews. Because it tells us that the mediator of the covenant, in chapter 10, in verse 12, it says, But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. In other words, Jesus Christ is going to return. And of course, in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, and in the writings of the Apostle Paul, we know that that's going to be on the seventh trump, And we know that Jesus Christ, when He returns, will become King of kings. And He will possess the kingdoms of men. I want you to I emphasize this in the New Testament. There are beautiful passages in the Old. but see, there's somebody out there and has in the past effectively Told thousands of people who kept God's holy days were present at the Feast of Tabernacles brethren that I served and I knew and I was broken by to see walk away from the truth so let's I'm going to kind of keep it New Testament New Covenant so we recognize that Christ returns on the seventh trump it's New Testament Corinthians Revelation we have the day of trumpets the next holy day we observe is the day of atonement well very clearly we have that clearly revealed to us in Revelation chapter 20 as Satan is taken he's bound and for a thousand years removed from society. Along with that, the Bible has given us very clear information in Second Corinthians chapter 5 what God has done and doing and that we are reconciled to God. Let's notice Second Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation we observe something that happens and will happen in the future it actually is given to us in the Old Testament two goats were taken out one was sacrificed one was set and released in the wilderness but I want you to understand the reconciliation in our life has already taken a step and taken place because we have access through Jesus Christ to our Father. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God and brethren that's a very clear reason we should not be involved in this world's politics or honestly be a part of what's going on in this society we need to withdraw ourselves from it and pray thy kingdom come don't get swept up in it you know a lot of that takes place it's not right. I don't disagree with that. We live in a world filled with corruption. We live in a world, brethren, is filled with deceit. And it's really not new. I enjoy history, but I'm very careful about history. I've seen people, you know, quote, history book and maybe it's only one source and it's very important let me ask you a question who wrote the history and who was paying the individual's keep well many many times it was a king or an emperor and if you didn't write what the king wanted or the emperor wanted were you fired probably not You were probably beheaded or crucified or hung or simply cut in half with a sword. What would you write if you were a historian in that position? That's, you get the picture. That's why I'm a little cautious about are there things in history that are corroborated by different people in different countries yes. And it's interesting the things in history that are really important the things that are important to help us to understand certain events and when they took place they have support we get all involved in something somebody wrote a book or they said this or that and they claim a certain proof and you cannot corroborate it just move on Many times what they want to do is sell their book. The things that are really straightforward, that have to do with things that God's seeking, brethren, which is the changing our life and, and changing our heart and drawing close to Him and understanding what the future holds. Those are the things that are, are most important. And of course, with that, our relationship to God. We've gotten up to atonement. Then we ask the question, what about the millennial reign of Christ? What could be clearer and give more definition to Revelation chapter 20? But there is other passages in the New Testament that speak of the fact that God's saints will return and will be resurrected and that we'll ever be with our Lord. In other words, What I want to point out to you is all of God's holy days are a part of things that are given to us in the New Testament. When Jesus Christ spoke of his disciples, understanding what the world did not, and what we understand, brethren, what the world does not, He was speaking of events that have to do with the day of judgment, Matthew chapter 11. And he was speaking of comparing what he faced where he did his mighty works and what the reaction was. And so I'll just read one verse and then the part that applies that I'd like to point out. In verse 22, Matthew 11. And speaking of certain cities that he had traveled to, did mighty works there. In fact, it says in verse 20, in which he, most of his mighty works had been done. They didn't listen. They didn't repent. Verse 22, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. He says the same regarding Capernaum and and how they reacted. And he said it would be, if what he had had done in Capernaum had been done in Sodom, they would remain to this day. And so we read verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it is seem good in Your sight. In other words, God had His purpose, and what I'd like to point out today is the relationship between God's holy days and the New Covenant. See, brethren, in God's holy days and the observance of them, we see how. You know, there are questions we can ask: how, when, why. Keeping God's holy days gives us how? How is God going to fulfill that promise of a covenant and the remission of sin to all of mankind? You understand and I understand. Is there anything that touches you that actually gives you more a heart of flesh than to know that every single human being, if they've not just simply known the truth and rebelled, will be resurrected. Because that will take place in the great white throne judgment. Those that live on until the millennium will actually be under the leadership and rulership of Christ. And they will have the blessings of that covenant, even as we should have and do have if we're close to God, as a part of our life. But the understanding of that, where did it come from? From keeping God's holy days. When you see that and you understand it, can you truly imagine somebody saying to you, and you just accept, oh oh no, it's a new covenant. You don't have to do that. No, because when you understand why and how, you're not deceived that the Bible speaks of and I think is important is that we love the truth but by keeping God's Holy Days, brethren, we understand how how God's going to carry out a plan. There's going to be a physical resurrection we know there are going to be millions of people that will live through a thousand years and we know today that God has called some but it's been a very small group and it's a blessing to have been called today, brethren the Bible's very plain about that we also say, understand the when we understand God has a plan and we're looking forward to the next step of that plan, the seventh day which is the return of our Lord and Savior. Then we understand that that thousand years will come to an end. Satan will be released. And then there's a great white throne judgment. And so we understand when these things will happen. And with that, we understand the covenant God made is a covenant He will enter into with all of mankind. We also understand why. God has a purpose, and that is, he desires salvation and relationship with all of his children. That's because we keep God's holy days. I hope you'll take time and go through the scripture. There are many, many passages, brethren, I did not touch upon. But I know I've outlined enough and you're here that I gave a sermon one time and I was asked by uh, someone I have a lot of respect for in our ministry. And he said to me, I've never heard that preached before. And I was sort of taken back and I said, well, it's in the Bible. <laughs> and, and the individual chuckled as he nodded his head in agreement. And what I'm saying to you, I've not heard preached before. But I know you know it's in the Bible. And you can take the notes and go through the sermon. You can use the concordance. And than you will find it's very big in the Bible. It reminds me, and I'll tell you a little incident in my life. I was with a friend, very, very good deer hunter. And we were fishing, not hunting deer. And I noticed that. He kept looking over toward a kind of a thicket or a brush. And I, so I looked over. What's, what's he looking at? And he said, do you see the deer? And I'm looking. and I'm still not seeing the deer. So he said to me, he said, well, look for the brown, the you know, the color. And that can vary in different parts of even an area or region. But in that part, I was in Michigan, down around Coldwater, Michigan, between there and Kalamazoo. I served both churches in the Worldwide Church of God. The man was a deacon in the Coldwater Church. And so I started looking. He said, look, just look for the the brown color in the thicket. Because everything pretty much was green. Oh what! I picked it right out. He said, "Now focus on the brown and start looking, because as you look, you will begin to see an outline of brown. It would be coming through the, the sort of the thicket of the. And you know what? I begin. There's a deer. And I." realized I didn't know whether it was a a buck or a doe. And so I I realized immediately why he was really focusing because it wasn't really easy to tell. Now this man was an extremely successful bow hunter. I think at that time in the state of Michigan he could get three or four tags. He always filled his tags. Sometimes he could get a doe and other times he had to get a buck. But I never knew of a time, and I lived there for eight years, when he didn't fill all his tags. And so I realized what he was looking for. He wanted to know, is that dear a buck? And if it was, he was coming back. <laughs> not then, not in the summer, but in the fall. Because it was an area where I know he had access. You know, brethren, there are things in the Bible... That right in front of us. We know them, we see, but we don't connect the brown or the dots. But when we do, they're plain. And I trust today what I've said is plain. And I'd like to encourage you to realize the tremendous truth that God's given to us, the understanding we have, and, brethren, the responsibility we have. I've mentioned, please study. God says, prove all things. And God also tells us to love the truth. So we're here to rejoice. And one of the things we rejoice in, brethren, that's so important, is the knowledge and understanding that God has given to us about life. Our life, the life of those we love, and the life of our brothers and sisters, of mankind in which we share this planet. Though we have much reason and and many wonderful things, brethren, to rejoice in as we keep the Feast of Tabernacles.